millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In Simple Pleasures, the popular chef Yotam Otelengi gets some interesting guests round to his place and makes them a meal from his new cookbook. I read that you're the nicest man in Britain. Is That's that a true? slur. I... It's a terrible <laughs> slur, Yotam. I have to live with this, you know. Uh, I think you I'm, can. I'm, I, I'm a great appreciator of things, put it that way. Okay. I'm not particularly nice, you know. Well, I've watched, you, I've watched you engage with this. So, sorry, this is Michael Palin. And I'm, I, there's so many titles I can give you. I'm just going to assume people would know. And then we'll talk about all the amazing things that you've done over the years. But of what you talk to people when you travel all over the world, and I can see why they would say that, because when you don't share a language with someone, it's very easy to get frustrated. But for you, it seems like you, you make the most out of it. Well, it was a big challenge to me, because I, I, when I was young, I didn't travel, and I was, my reluctance to travel was partly because I felt like I won't be able to deal with the language. Language is something that's going to keep us apart. When I was asked to do Around the World in 80 Days, there was no way I could learn all the languages on the way around. So I just had to go for it and, and improvise and smile a lot and, you know, do the normal things you do when you don't know the language. And I suddenly realised that people will communicate with you. People will give back some, some hospitality, friendship. They want to. And they, they don't worry that you can't speak the language. They appreciate it if you know one word or something like that or a phrase. But basically, they just want to talk to you. They want to get something back as well. But it's also something wonderful for TV, these moments where you say something, obviously the other side doesn't understand. They say something you don't understand, and then you could just do whatever you like with it. Oh. It wouldn't work on a podcast. No, no. no. <laughs> it wouldn't be a different kind of podcast. <laughs> You'd have to follow it yourself with a dictionary. It's had some wonderful moments where we've just been at total cross-purposes. I remember going across the Huey River, and we were in a, in a little dow, and I was being told to start the engine, and then we talk, and start the engine, and off we go. And... So I said this this guy, the little Vietnamese guy, OK, so start the engine now. And he goes, yes, oh, yeah. I said, no, no, we, we, we go across the other side of the river. He said, yeah, yeah. And he was looking at the camera all the time. I wish people and, could see uh, your face. So I said, no, so now start the engine now. And he just start, start, start engine now. I said, yeah, start engine now. He goes, yeah. And it was almost <laughs> as though he was, thought, thought it was a comedy routine that he was applying. Eventually, we got the engine started. And it was hilarious. We got across the Huey River, very beautiful. The other side, we were going to, going to eat, actually. And so I said, that's, that's fine, just stop the engine now. But stop the engine now. Stop engine now? And I said, stop the engine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a completely t- total sort of uh, cross-purposes. But actually, it made for a very funny sequence. Yeah. I became totally unafraid of, of, of making a fool of myself, which is something you have to get over when you're doing a travel series. Well, for a comedian, it's kind of easy, right? Like... Well, well, yeah, yes. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I like people to laugh at me, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I like to be in control as well. Uh, but no, it was... It, it, I, I could see the funny side, but also... I remember in a yurt in, in Tibet, just with a, a, a yak herder, and 
we talked for about 15 minutes, neither of us understanding what the other was saying, but we were inside the yurt, his two children were there, his wife was there, sort of churning butter. And we just talked about the children. I said, there was always one, isn't there, who cries, and the other one tries to be very nice, and he goes, he says something in Tibetan. We kind of knew through the children exactly what was going on. So it was a universal situation with those children and and the wife cooking and all that sort of (laughs) stuff, and him sitting around. So I'll be the wife cooking now, and I'll. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I prepared some uh, char grilled grapes with burrata. Fantastic. That would be our starter with Lovely. some basil, mm. and then uh, some uh, parpadelli with harissa olives and capers. Uh, so it's a kind of like a North African pasta. All right. Okay. Yeah. And mm. uh, some gem lettuce salad with a, what I call a refrigerated dressing, which is essentially everything you have at the bottle of your fridge blitzed together. Good. Avocado and ginger, dill, basil, parsley, yeah. a bunch of other things. And then... A, You've obviously a, got a lot at the bottom of your game. fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was. A, no, yeah. Well, that day there was a lot. Now yeah. it turned into a recipe, so everybody has to follow it, like, <laughs> to the T. So um, I'll just throw the pasta in. Okay. And cook that. Where did you originally learn your time? Was it sort of... At your mother's knee or uh, in, uh, something bit, you taught yourself? A little bit at my parents' knees. So my dad, you can hear it on my surname, is Italian. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jewish Italian. And my mum is, mm. her family is from Germany. So when I was growing up oh. in Israel, there, it was very European food, Southern European and Northern yeah. European. Uh, but then when I walked out into the streets, you know, it was the Middle Eastern business, you know, Palestinian food, which was a completely different kind of food, you know, much less structured, much more kind of, yes. you know, in restaurants with, a, you know, just big tables full of food. Yeah. So I kind of, I think I consider myself very lucky to have been exposed to mm. quite a lot of food cultures at a very young age. And I think that affected the way I cooked. Also, I think because... I don't feel like I'm committed to one particular culture or shackled down by one tradition. You know, there is there was a lot there, so I I kind of feel free to mix and match when I can, as long as it works. I don't know if it always works. But... Well, it's a bit like going around the world and not knowing the language. You know, you're not sure if it's going to work or not, but you've got to have a go. <laughs> you've got to have a go, and once you've um, succeeded once or twice, you yeah. just know that it works, right? And um, Michael, so <clears throat> you traveled a lot and I was we were just talking now before we started about grandchildren when your kids were growing up were you traveling then so how was it not to to be away from your from your family you know it sort of we didn't stop and have a great debate about it when I was going to do the long journeys it was just a lot of my work involved up to that time going away filming for three or four weeks or something like that or, or sometimes a couple of months so they were used to seeing this man disappear and always come back with something from some foreign country. We well, say, oh, yes, we've got to find that. But they got to the stage by that time. I mean, they were, they were at school, sort of, when did I do Round the World in 80 Days? 88? Yeah, so they were in their teens anyway. Yeah. And they have their own world. They were doing their own thing and getting on with life and finding out about things. And suddenly I, I was gone. And we didn't make a great big thing about it. And that was the way I preferred it. I did miss them. Um, but they, uh, you know, they, they they dealt with it very well. My wife is extremely supportive. So, so well, she's supportive, but also sort of very. She can look after the house extremely well. Probably looks after it better when I'm not there than when, <laughs> when I'm there. When you're not you know, making she's a got mess. This, yeah, she's got this system. 
And my eldest son, it was one of them, we were doing full circle, I think. He arrived fairly soon after I'd gone, and he, he said, where's Dad? And, and my wife said, well, he's gone, he's, got, he's doing a series around the Pacific. How long have he gone for? Well, it could be a sort of three or four months. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I need some money. <laughs> and it was just... Was so it was rather... It was very nice, the way they do it. They weren't sort of, oh, Daddy, you've gone. And the same way when I came back, it wasn't really what people think. I, you know, sit round the table and hear all the stories of where you've been, Traveller's Tales. I thought it would be that, but it wasn't. They were not there. Oh, no, no, yeah. and, they, and my wife had gone out to badminton that night or something like that. The <laughs> and you just you arrived there. There's a little note in the... You know, and and you, can't, you can't sort of expect to come back and tell them all about everywhere you've been. Because, you know, that, that's sort of... You have to, you have to give about, a, I, I think, several days before you really start talking about it. Because you forget, their life has gone on. They've had their yeah. own crises, problems. You know, a teenager, they've got far more things to talk about. To, well, they won't talk about to you, but far more things have happened to, to them, probably in the short time, that happened to me. Just because I've been to this country or that country isn't one thing or yeah, the other. Yeah, I, I have the same. When I travel on book tours, yes. which I'm sure you do too, I come back and... You're kind of on that. I come from, you know, being a few weeks. I never go for more than three weeks away. And we've got very little children. So as soon as I arrived, I walk into the door and Carl, my husband, he hands me over our little son, Flynn, who is still in his nappies and goes, go change a nappy before we talk about anything else. That's the kind of, that's the... the, I'm afraid there is that, yes. (laughs) Now you're going to pay for that. (laughs) Nice time abroad. And whatever you say about, oh, it was awful, you know, we cut across the desert and there was no food and and the vehicles were falling apart and, you know, broke my leg and all that. Oh, come on, don't pretend you didn't have a good time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very hard to persuade. Very hard to persuade one's family that going abroad is anything other than a cushy job. Some of Simple Pleasures, presented by Yotam Ottolenghi, featuring Michael Palin. You're listening to the Podcast Hour on RNZ National. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 